Recording's happening. We're doing this. Here we go. Here we go. So it's a podcast. So Ben, this is uh, this. I don't know. I don't know if the listeners like this kind of podcast, but it doesn't matter. I I I like this kind of podcast where we have a mystery guest. Now, we did we did arrange this podcast at a relatively opportune time. So the mystery guest, it's not the same as a previous mystery guest who was was a, a chef that we had on. Um, too far too early um, and he was very tired and so uh, okay uh, I'll, I'll let you know that it's not too early um, oh. and as far as I know this person is not a chef oh <laughs> no all right okay well there there goes there goes my first question which is um, is is our guest a chef or not and so you've given me you've well, given me well, a free one well here. let's 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 let the let's let the guest answer that because I oh, might be wrong okay. Okay. No, no, no. Yeah. And technically not a chef. No. Technically, technically not a chef. <laughs> oh, that's not helpful at all. No, yeah. Um, the so clouds the waters. Yes. Uh so so all uh, um I I don't immediately recognize uh well, and I shouldn't say immediately. I don't I don't recognize our 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 guest voice. So this is um not that's also not helpful. Have we have we ever met in in real life? No, I don't think so. I think we've maybe exchanged a little bit on Twitter before. Okay, okay, not much. So we, so we've, uh, we, we've got may- maybe we potentially we know each other from the internet. Is that yes? A, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. This is this is good. Um, Don, it might. I feel like I'm getting better at this every time we do this. Uh, where I where I feel very awkward. Um, so. <laughs> Not technically a chef. Can I, oh, yeah. can I ask a follow-up question of the guest? This sure. is not fair. <laughs> um, so I, th- I think this is gonna, this might be interesting, and this might give you some hints. And also, my dog is barking, so I apologize. Um, oh, so right. mystery, mystery guest, do you know if you and I have ever met in real life? Oh no! But there was a chance. I think once you're in a city doing a live show, I guess I could have met both of you. Uh, yeah, but this, but let me let me go no. back even further. And I'm not, and again, I apologize. I'm pretty sure it was you that I almost met. So <laughs> let, let, I think we can figure this out pretty quickly. Um, have you ever been to, and this will give Ben a hint, a bit of a hint, I think. Have you ever been to Max FunCon? Oh, uh, yes, I have. Yes. Okay. okay. Now, okay. Many another, times. Another inter- now this is this is gonna show either how creepy I am or how <laughs> how much how much of an attention to detail I have. In one in one of the one or more times when you might have attended Max FunCon, were you wearing those shoes that were fashionable at the time that had uh, individual pockets uh, for your toes? <laughs> oh no! Thank God, jeez. Okay. No. Okay. Well, good. I would good. Never good. Do that. Okay. Because the show would be over. Those are that's <laughs> a crime against. against humanity. Those shoes. Jesus. Okay. All right. So then it must have been some other. It, Famous person from the internet. I, uh, I um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm not a, a, a science doctor, but uh, that Max Funcon is at what five or six thousand feet. Uh, it is. I've never, I've never been so affected by alcohol in my entire life, except <laughs> I have had the worst two of the worst hangovers of my life, like like Hollywood makeovers where I was wearing sunglasses and saying everything was loud. Only at Max Funcon, uh, and I think it's just I don't know the altitude just whips me. Yeah. So I don't remember a lot from those things. It's, okay. All right. So you could yeah. have been wearing those shoes. 
<laughs> no, no. But, I mean, I'd be really <laughs> drunk to do that. <laughs> it's like you would have first, you'd have to own those shoes, the toe yeah. shoes. You'd have to box or them, special, bring them. Yeah, right, right, right. And put them on um, and make the statement. Yes, and, uh, very much. So, <laughs> have you? Are have you? Um, how, how have you participated in Max FunCon? Have you been an attendee? Have uh, you been a live podcast? Have no, you been I've never speaker? performed there. Okay. Uh, I guess attendee and sponsor, sponsor. Okay. sort of once. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Do you now? Um, so I'll, I'll go with my my go to. Do you are you in the world of of podcasting? That I mean. <laughs> Barely, sort of, gently, okay. yeah. Got gotcha, gotcha. Not famous for it, right? Right, but but have been all right. So so might be in the circle of of other other people. That, yeah. That I've, okay. Good. Um, is your uh, and and only I can see this. Uh, well, and and Don can see it as well. Not not being super creepy, but um, but our listeners can't see. But I'm going to describe <laughs> a picture, an avatar. Um, uh, 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 for zoom. And it is a, uh, looks like a wine glass with a cocktail in it that in, includes, um, some orange slices and a, some cherries and a straw. It might be an old fashioned. No, what's uh, it? A- Aperol. Oh, uh, Aperol. Call yeah. Yeah. Whatever oh, you call those. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Is that. That has nothing to do with me, and I is that honestly, a, so funny. Is that a clue? Funny, no. funny. So unfortunately, we were not recording before you joined Ben. But if you, if you, if we had been recording, you would have heard me chatting with the mystery guest, and then agreeing that we were both gonna, after we said hello, to turn our turn videos off. Video. Off. And yeah. then, uh, and then his profile picture came up, which was from, showing his face from so, twenty years ago. But yeah, for, <laughs> and, and then I and said, so, "Well, what's in my downloads directory? Random, random shit." And then, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Um, and spooky Halloween name is not helping yeah. me at all. Uh, so are you, uh, so not, not technically a chef. Let's go back to the, to the world of food. Are you, are you in the world of, are, are you food adjacent? <laughs> uh, no, no, I'm in the okay. tech world. Do you, right. do you eat food? <laughs> yeah, yes. I, I tend to three times a day. Yeah. Do you, and, and have we interacted on the internet around like a food safety question or situation that you might've had and, and that <sighs> Don and I or others jump in creepily? I probably, I probably asked Don the question. Everyone wants to ask one of the uh, horniest, weirdest questions, but <laughs> I don't know if you what? chimed in. What was, uh, could you tell me a little bit more about the question? I'm not going go oh, to go. It was, to it was years it. ago and I can't remember what Don was saying something on Twitter about I don't know food safety <laughs> and uh, or uh, maybe you were make mocking young people like don't eat Tide Pods or something. And I said <laughs> something like, "Is I I had asked like from a medical perspective, the kids today are just really into uh, tossing around that they that they eat each other's butts <laughs> and like how dangerous is that these days? It seems dangerous." So we had a silly sexual discussion about eating well, butts. And, and nice, fact, nice. I, the, I I I believe. I believe that that actually was a conversation not on Twitter, if I'm remembering correctly. This might have been in the old Discord. Oh, hmm. I I want to think, or maybe not. Maybe I'm mis. I, obviously, I've misremembered shoes. I remember I, being embarrassed about even tweeting about this <laughs> as a grown ass adult. Well, I re I remember thinking, wow, like how to represent? Like what a great question. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just jumping right in. Like most people are like, hey, I left the eggs in the car. This is 
like i don't know about the east coast where you guys are from but like i mean do you see bumpers there are bumper stickers on dudes trucks that are like i eat ass no (laughs) that is like a thing i see once a week and i'm like that's popular I am googling this. Yeah. I'm googling these bumper stickers on my on my work com- computer. And there's a um, whole like there's a whole First Amendment argument because they're getting pulled over for I don't know crudeness or, or lewdness or something. They're going, oh, free speech. I'm in America, so it's really strange. Okay, and 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 did we? I think we, I think Don was talking about E. coli on perfect. Twitter, and I was yep. like, hey man, hey, here's here's I, a. Here's today's topic. I saw this bumper <laughs> sticker. How dangerous uh, is this <laughs> in okay. real life? All right. Okay. Um, this is uh, just as a, a real-time follow-up here. Uh, R, uh, you know, Reddit, r slash too afraid to ask. There is, uh, and I'm not sure that maybe this is going to help me. Um, it, is is your Reddit name? <laughs> username. <laughs> Yeah, username. Um, blah 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 blah. Heck underscore you underscore <laughs> no, I science. Would, uh, I would never underscore anything. Yes, no. Yeah, because the the uh, can you get E. coli from eating ass is right there. It's right on. Oh, yeah. Um. So okay. All right. So it's not. So you're the, okay. Well, that's not you. Uh, <laughs> this took a turn. It did. It did. <laughs> you, know, you never know what you're going to get into when when right. you get into food safety. Talk. Probing questions. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. So. Um, uh, 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 tech, tech world, Max Fun Con, um, podcast adjacent, mm-hmm. um, uh, Twitter. Um, uh, are, are you, uh, um, and the, the, are, are you also internet friends with some of our other friends, um, that, that we have had on the, on the show, like, um, Merlin or, uh dan benjamin or yeah okay yep, okay yep, yep check 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 all right excellent have you um and uh and do you know like hmm, have you have okay so you mentioned that you were you you are or were a podcaster but but one that maybe people don't know about what's the topic of that of that podcast uh the current one is trucks trucks <laughs> which is like out the of current character ep- the current episode is about trucks. No, or the current, current podcast series is just about trucks, which Whoa. is a really weird niche hobby of mine what? that has uh, nothing to do with anything no. else in my background. Now I'm interested uh, more. So, what? Tell me more about the trucks. Uh, just truck, like driving trucks. Um, yeah, it was a, a friend that was in the auto industry and also in the internet industry, and we were. Uh, uh, shooting the shit and we shoot the shit a lot and we were like well we should do a podcast someday about how much we love weird cars and weird trucks and then then we just did it we're only on episode 10 there's probably 20 listeners and it's something i'm putting zero effort into um promoting <laughs> so it's yeah it's it's fine it's like the, 10 friends i know listen to it and that's it that's funny is um does it have a witty uh podcast title like uh, like what too- the truck no, 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 it's not a pun. <laughs> okay, okay. That's a uh, truck term as the title, and it's a I guess it's kind of a niche truck term, but it's a real truck thing. Oh, and the previous let me see, my previous podcast was uh, uh I'll just yeah, I interviewed people I knew really well so well that I interviewed them about the thing people don't know about. Like that oh. was that was the limiting factor of the podcast was these people had to be friends for 20 years before I could say, hey, everyone knows you're the number one water polo coach or whatever, but you really like to hike. So all we talk about is another thing that semi-famous internet people would, would uh, oh. that they were into. 
so that was a that's a hard growth model but yeah 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 but but it's like uh here um here's the thing that you didn't think you were coming to this podcast for but we're gonna give you like like this this is about it's about this person okay it's not actually helping me um oh gosh um i don't i don't know don don what what can i what can i um what kind of hint hint can i get here well I've done. I feel like I've done fairly well. I've narrowed you. Have, you you have narrowed a circle. I've. I, yeah, I've, I'm like a. I was Merlin's neighbor before a long time ago. We've known each other since 20 years ago. Oh my gosh! I mentioned a lot on one of his programs. It's sort of like a, a person who's never appeared but constantly which, mentioned. Which podcast? Uh, which which? Uh, <laughs> Mostly Roderick on the line. Oh no! Um, Sometimes are, are, on the uh, Dan Benjamin one. Are you? Are you? Are you a person who? Um, who's never appeared in the podcast because Roderick on the line doesn't have guests. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, but but has provided some like sage wisdom over uh, over the years to, yeah, to Marlon. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, oh, I'm gosh. the one person he trusts. Right? That 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 was one time he mentioned me. Oh, I'm the person's opinion he trusted when he left a podcast. Oh gosh. Okay. Now I'm, I'm, uh, this is, this is great. I'm, I'm fully drawing a blank of, of like specific names, but I, I, yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. So now I think we need to do a reveal. Don, are we, are we there? Well, I would say if I told you that the guest was in my mind, like most internet famous for like a really cool site where people would ask questions and get answers would that would that be at all helpful to you yeah um oh gosh maybe <laughs> so have you ever heard of have you ever heard of the site called ask metafilter yes yes okay yeah. we Do you have any idea who is associated with that no <laughs> no i have not um but i think we've we we have uh i think we've talked on this episode or we've definitely found some ask metafilter answers on yeah. yes yeah. should, I, should i eat this was like a category yeah yeah, yeah yeah um okay uh so so i think i i think i think we can i think we can yeah you we can, can do the reveal who the guest is because this is this has gotten past the point of silliness so 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 ben our, our mystery our mystery guest today is uh internet uh celebrity and superstar matt howie matt Hello. howie Yes, Hello. I know. I've heard your name multiple times. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah. and we have interacted. Oh, and, uh, and like I once, uh, I guess Merlin asked me one day, like, "Hey, did you hear the last episode of my MacBook Weekly podcast with whoever?" And I said, <laughs> uh, "And I don't know why I was just being brutally honest one day. I wasn't even thinking about it. I was just like, nah, man, you know, I hate one of your co-hosts, and he just mm -hmm. gives me a bad vibe and." I stopped listening. I got to be honest, buddy. I stopped listening like three months ago. And then he, he was like, okay, duly noted. And then he quit the show. Then, wow. He said, that I'm the canary in the coal mine. And like, and I don't even remember like pretty much thought it. I was just like, oh man, I got to be honest. I do not like that show anymore. That's hilarious. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Well, um, well, welcome to Food Safety Talk. And yeah. Um, so now I'm always intrigued when when Don and I bring a guest on. It, it, like, how did this happen, Don? What? Why is Matt here? Did Matt have questions about food safety? How are we? Well, why, why are we so here? What? I know why we're here. I, I should. This would have been a good hint. Well, maybe maybe a good hint. Um, I believe I believe Matt is a member of uh, what is commonly referred to as the best Slack um yes and so we we inter we started interacting something about something on slack and i'm like you know 
Um, that this is the same way we got Casey on the show. Right, right. <laughs> let me yeah. let me just put it out there and see if uh, if see if Matt would be on the show. And uh, he said yes. I, he he did say no to recording at six a six a.m. his time um, <laughs> on the last episode. But yeah. but uh, but he can do uh, he can do. I once uh, did live today. radio with New York at five a.m. my time, and it had to be on landline, so I had to, like go to an office to borrow a land. It was the worst experience of my life, like twenty years ago. <laughs> uh, you know, radio yeah. people do love their landlines. I think I they're at least they're they seem to be getting away from that. What, yeah, yeah. What uh, what what um, uh, NPR will do now is they'll have you actually record your end of the audio on your phone and 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 that yeah. that seems to satisfy them so but yeah i've done I, my share of landline interviews that are oof, just like, i think the last really? live live radio i did they we did zoom like they were they just recorded the feed directly off of zoom or something like it was yeah it was a totally different um <laughs> experience but yeah I, it is always fun when you get that request of like, okay, we need you to get a like go to landline. It's like I don't, I don't have one. Like I don't. There, there is not. This was a, like, yeah, this was like two thousand three, and it was significant. I was like, oh yeah. wait, I like borrow some office space off of lawyer friend. I think he has landlines. Oh. And then, and then when you get on, it's just the morning zoo crew at a hundred because it's nine a.m. to them or whatever, and I'm right. just out of bed. And it was yeah. terrible. You're like, oh, hey, what's what's going on? Yeah, and they're yeah. just whack a whack on wow, wow. Yeah. Uh, that yeah, that that's a. I I feel like that that entire industry is a is a grind, right? Like I don't <laughs> I don't know how you you know we do we do this once every couple of weeks, and I enjoy talking to Don a lot. But if, can you imagine if we did do this three hours every morning? Right? Like that? No, I I can't I can't even imagine what that what that's like <laughs> as a job. I live outside of Portland, Oregon, and uh, it seems like I'm always testing a radio by just, you know, go to a radio, random radio station, sports talk radios around here all the time. And the thing that kills me whenever I'm like testing, I just wired up some speakers and then you'll hear, uh, you know, Portland Blazers chat in our fourth hour. We're talking to, and I'm like, this, the basketball season was over three months ago. This is just <laughs> so, like, what yeah. are you guys doing? Like they talk for four hours a day about a sport that's not even being conducted. Like, right, right. Yeah. And that, it's like that. I was like, imagine that job. Your year-round job is to talk about a basketball team. No, no. And and uh, you know, we've run out of topics. So let's let's pull up the salary cap page and let's look for <laughs> yeah, like okay. where where are the uh, where are our opportunities on who we might be able to target in trades. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's wild. I um I, so Don probably doesn't well you might know a little bit about 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 this. I. So I, I am I'm from Toronto and I'm still very much a Toronto sports fan. And um, every once in a while, as I drive my kids to school, we'll, I will put on sports talk, talk radio from Toronto, which drives them just wild. They are not very happy about that. <laughs> Um, but but is that I have like those, a serious XM thing. Like it's how do not, you? Even, it's, it's like a like internet on, radio. Yeah, I mean it's it. There's a feed. I just like I have a shortcut on my phone that i think it's through ah. apple music you know there's some stream that 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 i can wow. find yeah and it's 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 almost the only thing that i talk to my dad about so so my my entire discussion with him i got i i need to like put in two or three hours a week to know what he's gonna Hockey ask me prospects <laughs> yeah 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 like and and it's i facetime with my parents last night 
And, uh, it, you know, my mom, my mom's very interested in what my kids are doing and how's school going. And my dad's like, did you watch the Leafs game on, on Saturday? And he's like, I think that our number, our third line center is not very good. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're right. Like I'm right. I'm right into it. So yeah, that that's my, I, but, but every time you, I listen to sports talk radio, I'm like, oh my gosh, how would, how would you do this? How would you do this? Story? Yeah. And I kill, it kills me. Like who listens to, <laughs> I mean, they could be having the same discussion about food safety as a podcast, but how do you, <laughs> how, how do you schedule four hours to listen to, uh, you know, I guess it's, you're at work and it's just playing in the background. You're not half paying attention all the time, but yeah, I just, you know, well, I, I, yeah. I knew, I knew people at work that would listen to back when, I guess maybe, maybe when he was on terrestrial radio, but now that he's on, on whatever he's on, people would listen to Howard Stern all morning. It's like, well, I, it's entertaining for my drive, but I can't work and have that going on. I, that's my brain. I can't, I can't like, I can do yeah, certain I always, things in, with audio, but. I always had playlists of jazz with no vocals because mm -hmm. that's the only way I could work. And friends yeah. would go, I listen to NPR all morning while answering email. And I'm like, that's a lot of words, <laughs> like in every yeah. hole at once. I don't understand how you do that. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, my, um, my, my wife is, uh, she, she's a heavy consumer of podcasts and she does a lot of design work. And so she will like, she'll plow through eight or 10 episodes of, of something in a day. And it's always on, you know, in the background. And I've like, she, we have AirPods for her, which she doesn't like. And so it's, I mean, she's listening to the tiniest like <laughs> audio from her phone. Um, and then, so I'll be like, Hey, did you listen to the daily today? And she's like, Oh yeah, yeah I totally listened to it. And then I'll ask like a question about it. She's like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really hear it. <laughs> like, like it was, it was on in the background. I'm pretty sure I heard the topic area, but I don't, I couldn't tell you what was happening. I so that that's it. Yeah. I think the crossover subject between sports talk radio's banality and then podcasting is friends who are really into D and D and they will listen to a four to six hour campaign that comes out every week. You know, they go, oh, Critical Role is so entertaining. And I like look at it like last one was four hours and 52 minutes long. <laughs> and she would go, oh, yeah, you just hit it in a few sessions. You know, you wash dishes, you mow the lawn. <laughs> drive to work three times like and then you're through the episode and then you're done I, I'm like as, as somebody who played DD &D as a kid um and as a young adult i really like the idea of a DD &D podcast it sounds like a really good idea and yet i have never really been able to listen to one <laughs> yeah i haven't i even tried the mcelroy one and i was and i asked a friend who was a big fan which one should i start with and uh, and like it's just hard to concentrate. There's so much backstory. I'm driving. I don't know. I'm paying ninety percent attention, and it, it didn't hook for me. Mm -hmm. But apparently the DMs and everyone's so like on the famous ones, like Critical Role is one of them. I mean, it's some massive thing that makes half a million a year for right. two or three people. So like they're actors basically doing a radio show kind of. Right. It it's so funny because like this is one of the things that I think we. Way back when we started Food Safety Talk, we either talked to Dan or, or Merlin about, or both of them, just about the fora of, um, you know, variability in the podcast world where, you know, there's someone out there who wants to listen to us, right? Like, and it's a, <laughs> yeah. it's a, it's a very odd niche where you, you can't, you know, the more that we meet, you know, listeners or other people that, that we've befriended, um, on the internet as, as a result of our podcast, you're like, Oh, I didn't really know 
how you stumbled upon us or like, why do you still listen to us? Like what mm-hmm. that, that kind of thing. And, and I, yeah, whoever it was um, either, either Dan or Merlin was like, you know, this is the, this is the beauty about podcasting is you don't, there's, there's not a lot of infrastructure to break into it. You just need to be interested enough in a topic to talk about it. And then there'll be someone who's interested enough in that topic to listen to it. And, and it just goes right. Like it's a weird, I don't know. It's a weird world. I still think, yeah, there's a discover discoverability aspect that's missing. Like we, every, I, I've sat in on several meetings over the last 10 years of we're going to build the Instagram podcast, which is going to like highlight just the one episode that's amazing and get it out beyond your circle or whatever. And like, no one's ever built it. Yeah. Like no one's ever even made a, a dent. Yeah. yeah but, right, right, right. I get but yeah. Like the best thing me and Merlin do to find obscure things is it's like we follow a, someone made like a, like a link sharing thing just for audio called Huff Duffer, which is the worst name yeah, in the world. Right. Yeah. Right. It's so hard. And we both like have RSS feeds of each other's Huff Duffed like <laughs> items. So I'll notice when he like pulls up an eight year old Planet Money podcast and it'll auto downloads to my overcast and I'll go, oh, damn. And he and vice versa. And like, yeah, we find a lot of weird, obscure guest spots that either of us was on. Oh, that's funny. Uh, through Huff Duffer. And it's like, no one's ever made like an audio tool that I don't know makes it easy to share a podcast yeah. you like or an episode you like. I, I ugh, yeah, there's still a giant hole in that world. It, it's funny. I, I have over the last I don't know eight weeks or so really spent way too much time on TikTok, and it's that that's the like uh, you know the algorithm that seems to get it right like discover new people like oh i noticed that you spent a little bit of time on this uh, on this video here are 70 more people that do the same thing do you like any of them and (laughs) it's yeah but but i'm using the uh, instagram copy version which isn't as good and it's run by bros you know in menlo park who have just turned mine into just like softcore porn. And it's really like, I, 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 people are like, oh, that's a reflection on you and what you search for. And it's not like I'm searching for truck parts and bike stuff. <laughs> and it used to be all bikes. I was, all my reels were always just like people doing sick jumps on mountain bikes. And yeah. then one day it was just like, maybe there was a fitness biker, you know, who like had her jersey half zipped. And then suddenly it was all bikini women all the time, 24 hours a day. But at the same time, there's like tech articles. They're like, Facebook's trying to drive everyone to video and they're trying to up their usage metrics and they're doing everything possible to show you this stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. It's a weird, it's a weird world, right? You know, that's a odd thing to say, but they're like, it's something that, that it couldn't, you know, if we had this discussion, like even four years ago of like, here's what, here's what your media consumption is going to look like. I would not have been able to I remember. Like five years ago, someone told me the big second biggest search engine in the world is YouTube. And I went, what? No. And that is my life reality right now. <laughs> and yeah. I can fix anything in my house. So I'm hearing youngins say TikTok's the number one search engine in their life. And I would go, no, but maybe I'll get there in a few years. Yeah. Yeah. And it's I, I'm living through my my like teenager kids who are exactly in in that world where it is their like full out social network and their media consumption and they're like, we'll, we'll be watching sports and, and like within seconds, they're like watching replays of TikTok, 
like just the thing that we just watched. <laughs> and, and, like, wait, what? What is the pipeline? Is incredible. Yeah. What is happening here? <laughs> they so, made that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's pretty wild. Uh, so, oh yeah. So so we. I mean, we can talk about the the world of media and and consumption. Where I just like to hang out with Don. So well, yeah. Well, so Matt Matt asked me in the in the in the pre show. Um. So what are we going to talk about today? I said I really don't. Know. I don't know. What was yeah. the agenda? Point yeah, by point. We, you know, we don't even have, we're, we're not even as, uh, as savvy as those out there who have like a Google doc where you have to arrest a cursor in a specific spot or anything. Um, no, I we, do, I, before, yeah. so before, before we, well, we've already left the topic, but I do want to, I, I, we, we talk about this on a regular basis and I think it's relevant. It's relevant to finding podcasts and it might even be relevant to TikTok as well. And it's the, it's the panel that that um, Gruber and and Merlin did at South by Southwest, um, which is basically I uh, it's officially called obsession plus topic plus voice, but I always remember it as come for the topic and stay for the voice, right? Like like I'm interested in food safety, so let me check out this podcast. But you know what? I really just enjoy Don and Ben talking, and so now, I mean, maybe I'm going to fast forward through all the stuff that's not food safety related. Sorry, folks, if you're slogging through this right now, but this is the podcast, you know, it's it's, rate rate and review us on iTunes, help people find the show. Um, But uh, yeah, so I just, and I, and I wonder, I mean, to a certain extent, I see that on, on TikTok as well. It's like, well, okay, yes, you're going to show me more silly dog videos, but you know what? If it's a silly dog video that I'm really not interested in, I'm going to do my best to not see any more of those and see more of the ones that I like, you know? Yeah. And, and I, it, it's funny, like in, in our weird world of academia, I, I kind of do the same, same thing, like in real life where I, I might be, I might go see a talk at at a at a conference where someone is really engaging and I really will just try to find them on the agenda next time. Right. Like I don't even care what they're talking about. I want to go see them talk about whatever they think is interesting or the work that they're that they're doing. And I don't think I ever realized that until we got into podcasting, that that was just the thing that I was I was doing. Like who what you know, I, there there's there are just engaging presenters and engaging people to me out there that I'll just try to get more of what they're, what they're doing. The nicest compliment I ever got about my work was like one of my first blogs was like one of the first like blog that made money was just about TiVo. And it was just me literally hacking TiVos and taking hard drives out of them and using Linux commands to like triple their storage when that used to cost thousands of dollars, but you could buy a hundred dollar hard drive that accomplished that. So I had this whole blog of like me tearing them down and a friend said, I don't even care about this stuff. I like that you're so passionate about it. <laughs> like it's so readable. I read every uh, post, even though I'm never going to do any of this stuff. And I was like, "Thanks." <laughs> I had no idea. I was like, "What's my head was so far down? No idea if anyone else liked it or even cared." Like <laughs> I was just doing it. Right, right. Just make just making something, and and it's it's engaging for somebody out there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cool. I remember when uh, I ran and I was at the bike shop getting some work done on one of my bikes and the bike mechanic told me he did an MMA podcast just about the Pacific Northwest, like amateur circuit. And I just went, man, there's a podcast for everything. That's rad. <laughs> I I have a, I have a friend who was in a DC punk band in the late eighties, early nineties. 
And uh, a couple of summers ago, this is before, it must have been like summer of 2019, his band never had you know, recorded an EP, had never released it. Someone found the, the mastered tapes and they released it. And so we went and, you know, a couple of our family friends went up and saw this and they, they played at a VFW in, um, and it was awesome. And my, like, it was an all ages show, like all, you know, punk shows should be on a Sunday night in like Northern Virginia. It was like, and, and the, the, you know, there were, there were people from that punk scene in the late eighties who were like, Oh, I remember these, like, I remember this band and let's get together and see people we haven't seen for a long time. And at that show, I met afterwards, after the show was over, my, my buddy um, and I went to the non like um, performance side of the VFW to the like bar side where there, you know, it was a dollar drinks and we're, we're sitting around um, drinking a couple of beers and uh, someone who was at the show was like, Hey, I do this podcast on Northern Virginia punk from 1985 to 1995. And I was like, that's, that's wild. And so I like subscribed, download them all. I listened to the entire, like everything. <laughs> and, and it was, and I'll have to go back and find what, what it was uh, called for the show notes. But I was like, this is phenomenal. I was, I don't know anything about this scene. I don't know any of the bands. I wasn't in it, but it was just all of these interviews, you know, 25 years later with, with people who are in the scene. And I was like, this is this is the coolest thing I've ever, I've ever heard of. Yeah. And so I, I totally get it. Like I, I get that. Nostalgia jams. Yeah. But, but it's like nostalgia and I'm not even in it. Like it's no nostalgia for me. It's just like, I'm excited about someone else's nostalgia. Yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, there's, there's a podcast for, for any, any topic, anything. Uh, So what, I don't know. What what do we want to talk about, Don? Any, well, well, and first of all, let's say, let's say, Matt, like we we go on for a couple hours, but you are not obligated to stay for the entire time. Um, so if you if you are not having not fun, these or if, pay you wanna, rates. if you want to <laughs> think of a think of an excuse where you have to eject, by all means, it's fine. Um, I brought a food but, question. Oh, oh we that, well, that was open. that was one of the things, Ben, that, that yeah. Matt and I talked about. I said, well, we'll we would love for you to ask us questions, and we might ask you some questions as well. So go for it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, have you seen this trend lately? I think some uh, Washington D.C. reporter got like reassigned to, I don't know, Amsterdam or something, and just started talking about how much better they feel in Europe living there, like food. So, and so it was a it was a thing going around and everyone was like mocking it because I think it's some popular CNN person that gets mocked. And, uh, and they were saying like, dude, it's probably because you're walking. It's probably because you have public transit for the first time. Like they're like kids person would say, anytime I do a like three month stint in Europe, I lose 10 pounds. I feel a million times better. Like what garbage is in American food? Uh, and like people are skeptical, uh, Americans. <laughs> and then a friend just moved to Barcelona and she's like, I'm borderline IBS at home in New York City and I feel great here. It is weird. I don't know what it is. And I'm like, what? Like, I'm trying to like figure out what is like, what's the, I mean, I have a master's in, you know, soil chemistry, but like I took environmental like ecology and, and uh, lots of microbio courses and stuff. I'm trying to figure out what the meat. I don't think there's a secret chemical like preservative. I don't think it's corn. I don't think it's sugar. But like I think it's something more. I don't know. My my personal with no data pet thought is like um, food is not hyper preserved there. Not like with chemicals, but just food's fresher. Like I remember when I was in Italy, 
I couldn't get over like every little corner bodega had fruit that was rivaled the best farmer's market in America. Like, cause they don't, they don't make tomatoes. They're designed to be sit in a truck for two weeks. You know, they're underripe when they're picked. It was just today's apples from today. And they're like every apple, orange, everything I ate in Italy, even from the tiniest little 99 cent store was incredible. Um, it was just like organic natural fruit that was in season. Uh, so yeah, I'm trying to think like, yeah, I don't know. Have you have you seen this trend? There's it's kind of like there's murmurings on Twitter, but when a friend like literally two weeks ago moved to Barcelona and said she has had no stomach or GI issues since she moved to Barcelona, and I'm like, that's interesting. That's weird. This is an engineer friend who's very scientific and not right. right. Like she's not prone to woo woo stuff. Yeah. Um, and she said she thinks that it was long COVID that's really messed her up in New York City for the last couple of years. But she just said like all food, you know, I'm pooping my brains out like several times a week, you know, when I eat anything strange and then I'm eating everything in Spain and I feel great. So like, has, have you noticed this trend and like, what do you think is behind it all? Well, you know, I, I have heard people talk about it, but like, like you and probably like your friend, my natural inclination is, are you sure? Right. Maybe it's just, you were there on vacation or maybe um, you're walking more, right. Or, or something, but you know, again, like, who knows, right? Like we've had, uh, you know, food poisoning outbreaks identified by Reddit, by people just sort of comparing their notes and saying, hey, yeah, I've been eating this daily harvest and uh, I had oh, to go because right. my liver enzymes were through the roof and they took my gallbladder <laughs> out. And lo and behold, yeah, actually it turns out there is something wrong. We just still don't know exactly what. So I guess what I would, yeah, I mean, when, what's the, what's the quote, you know, keep, keep, uh, keep an open mind, but not so open that your brains fall out. Right. Like I, I, yeah, I mean, and, and Ben has put a, a link in here about gut microbiota and yeah. there's so much we don't know, right. About, about what influences gut microbiota and, and how we can manipulate it. I've got a, a, a buddy at uh, here works here at Rutgers who basically he's, he's from he's from China and he started researching the stuff and he studies gut microbiota and he basically just transformed his diet right like eating you know eating various things and uh, lost a bunch of weight and feels like way better right and uh, just because of like paying attention to okay like it, what what you eat matters right and and for sure like I know in the U.S. we we do eat a lot of garbage, right? We eat a lot of processed foods. We eat a lot of fast foods. We've got obesity that's, you know, uh, epidemic, right? And so now obviously that's, you know, that's about how much you eat and what you eat and, and also how much you exercise. But, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's- Yeah, the I, signal I'm, to noise ratio on this stuff is yeah. through the roof, right? It's like, that's why people are uh, mocking this like reporter because they're just like, dude, you were in a car 20 hours a day before and now you're on trains and Every European city has a public walking square that we don't have in America. But mm. so there are, you know, there's so many lives. But this friend, it's like she's in she's in New York City. She doesn't own a car. She had just been walking. And then she has the, kind of the same life in Barcelona. And she's just saying, the only thing that changed, I think, is food. And it's better. Mm. And I feel better for the first mm. time in years. And I'm like, man, there's something deep down there. I just don't know what it is. I yeah, think I most people are saying like, there's just hyper preservatives in American food and it's garbage. And, and people do talk about Europeans coming here and putting on weight and feeling crappy and stuff. Mm -hmm. But like the flip side, it's pretty, it's pretty weird. Like, I don't know. I see it's, this is a trend I can't ignore that. Like once every six months, someone moves to Europe that I know or I distantly know. And then they say, I don't know why that everything's better. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think, I mean, I think about a few things. I think there's, there's so many variables, right? And so even though, and you know, I, I'll, we'll put a couple of links here in the, in the show notes, but even though the in, the only difference maybe lifestyle wise might be someone's food, the geography matters, right? Like, and, and so a couple of things here, one, just, you know, a quick Google um, of geographic differences in gut microbiota that Don already mentioned, but I've, um, but I've got a, a friend here um, at NC State who wrote a book. He's an evolutionary biologist. Name's Rob Dunn, who started to look at just microbes and other things that are different amongst homes. And he, like, famously, I guess maybe famously here in Raleigh and at NC State, did some work where he got people to um, culture the like the microbes that are in their belly button just to get a, like, what does the geographic distribution look like? Are they even close to the same? And and he really found that they're not like there, there's so much difference of what becomes predominant and what doesn't that temporarily matters. I think they, with their study, they looked at the same households and the same people over the course of a year, there is movement there. So like seasonality matters, right? So yeah, someone can transplant themselves and do like exist almost the same, but there's so many outside variables, you know, water, um, you know, just all the things that you're consuming, just air quality. Plus um, the shock to your system to reboot in a new biome with yeah. new microbes. Maybe that is the ticket, but yeah. Yeah. And, and so, but, I, but I think there's like, I, I'm with Dawn. I think there's something to it. There's some, there's something here that we just, we just don't understand. Like we, we haven't even started to scratch the surface about it. And I, I'm only looking at it from the microbiome lens. There's all these other lenses um, as well. I think yeah, I, have, I have a friend, like what got me an inkling down this path was a friend who's like hyper allergic to everything and celiac and uh, goes over her food, like tooth and nail, um, kind of like, like Gruber's kid and milk and stuff like, like, it's like severe things happen if they don't do this. But they were saying that like, um, you know, sometimes they get sick and when they backtrack it, it's just to like um, something that was in a jar that was just kind of six months old. <laughs> and they were saying old food seems to be bad for me. And the other day I had like a really nice $10 spaghetti sauce and spaghetti. I mean, it was like three ingredients and like uh, my stomach went insane. And I think, I don't know. Yeah, I was I, I was like, God, what are the preservation? What's the preservation like on this jar of tomato sauce? Like how old were the tomatoes that went into it, et cetera? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting, like something with tomatoes, it really, if it comes from a jar the it's, it's really only preserved by the action of heat, right? There's not preservatives, quote unquote, right. chemical preservatives that are added. And as far as I know, like it's the same, it's the same process that they use in Europe that they would use here, right? So if you buy tomato sauce that's made in Europe versus tomato sauce, you know, jarred or canned tomato sauce, it, it's got to be essentially the same process. Now, maybe the tomatoes are different. Again, maybe, and again, the the the, the food safety rules are different, right? There's chemicals that uh, you you are allowed to use in the U.S. that you're not allowed to use in Europe, and they have this thing in terms of food safety. They have this thing called the precautionary principle, where if there's uncertain uncertainty about something, they won't allow it, which is actually turns out to not be terribly scientific. But on the other hand, you know maybe that's an explanation. I don't know. I mean, it's just hmm. the problem is it's just it's just too damn complicated, right? Yeah, everything is like there's too much noise in the signal. Mm -hmm. 
All it's hard right. to get a data set. I mean, I thought that was my lesson from Freakonomics was it's hard to get a data set that could even answer one question among 10,000 at any time. Yeah. And, and, you know, and there's something there between the world of like allergies, which we also don't know a whole lot about, right? Like allergies and tolerances, different, different changes of, of exposure that can result in some symptoms that feel or look like, oh, foodborne illness or GI issues. And we just, I don't know, we just don't have a good handle on that, even even where we are today. I When I moved here from, um, from Canada like 15 years ago, my seasonal allergies like fully went away. Like the first eight or 10 years that I lived here, was, I was never, and I grew up with really, really terrible seasonal allergies. And then, you know, after eight or 10 years, I started to develop seasonal allergies here um, as well. And so there, you know, that just that environmental exposure to, to different things or removing something, I, I think certainly, I don't know, I think it, I th- think it certainly impacts and we just don't, we just don't can't like haven't been able to figure it all out yet on, on what, what, you know, what to do. Life is complex. Yeah, I, it is. And biology is, you know, not super predictable. I remembered uh, the time I knew I would never be pre-med in college. I was in a, I had to take some botany courses because I was in this like ag soils program and I was doing some chemistry like movement of copper through like um, sediments and lakes and fish and everything else. I had to take this botany course and, uh, I remember spending like three months on this like really simplistic um, grass that we had. One of the first things we'd done in the geome project was like map this one fast growing grass. After three months, it was like, oh, my God, we barely know about what gene like influences anything else. How do we even know? Why do we even touch bodies? This is insane. This is a thing we can count the cells. And it's like so complex when you scratch it and look at it for three months. I was like. You know, the world of grass roots and everything was so just dizzying. There was, yeah, I was just like, it's crazy that we even touch humans or even think we know what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, uh, I, I know when I was going through school, how much I was like, I thought I knew what was happening until I started getting into graduate school and be like, wait, all the stuff that you told me about is not real right like like there's you you there's a, a like you, it's been condensed down to something that i can consume as a student to get a general concept and then but then when we get into the real like aspect is there's like yeah we just we just don't know we think this is what ha- what's happening or we can identify what is happening we just don't know why um yeah well, it reminds me of one of my favorite quotes like you get a bs when you think you know everything you get an MS when you realize you don't know anything. And then you get a PhD when you realize that nobody else really knows anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is. So Matt, we're, um, you mentioned uh, soil science uh, and soil chemistry a couple of times. So what, tell, like, tell us a little bit about your, about your background. And I say this as a, administrator in the college of agricultural and life sciences oh rad just spending yeah. a bunch of time with like my crop and soil science uh friends yeah. so. uh like so i started college in 1990 and i remember loving the idea of college having an undefined major because like yeah. i wanted to be a generalist i liked art and i liked science and i didn't know where so i like followed an art path for a year or two and i had some terrible studio art teachers that like were just harsh on the criticism and not really about developing your technique and i was just like burned out on it 
And then I was like, well, I'm getting like an A in calculus. I should probably try the science angle. And I like biology. And then I went further down that rabbit hole and ended up in like an environmental program. And then I went off to UC Riverside, which was like UC Riverside and UC Davis were like the California ag schools. Yep. Um, and I got accepted to both and I went to Riverside and I finished it out and I was like, my favorite class was limnology, which I'd never even heard the term of before I had to take it, which is a study of lakes and rivers. And then I mm-hmm. became the TA for it. And then I went and that would became my advisor. And then I did this stuff. But the funny part was it was 1995 when I finished my bachelor's and started a master's immediately. I was already doing undergraduate research in the lab. So I just carried over. Um, but like the web had just come out and I made my first website and like, then I made my department's website. And then my advisor was like, Hey, you should probably not spend so much time on this. Like he was a, he was like a big mathematica, like math modeling nerd. Like he was very computer sciencey guy for the environment, but he was doing the hard math stuff. And so he was just glued to a sun workstation, like 24 hours a day. So I thought it was funny. He was telling me to look at computers less, but I remembered like halfway through my master's, I was like, I could quit and just make boutique websites for the lady who cuts my hair and people who sell cars down the street. And like, boy, I really think. And then I was like, hey, you know, I'm just going to finish this out. It's pretty nice to have a graduate degree. I'll just I've already got the research. I've already got a lab. Everything's familiar. So I banged it out in 97. And yeah, like two years. And then I got I worked as at an environmental consulting firm for like three weeks. And I realized like you could train uh, lots of animals to do the job I was getting paid, whatever, 15 bucks an hour. I was just making copies for, we were doing environmental impact reports for cell phone poles were going up as fast as possible in Southern California. So you literally had to write a report on the like 10 feet of gravel at the base of it. And how's that affect and the view, like how's that affect everyone around it? And I was just making copies and running them to city council meetings. I was like, this is so dumb. And I like saw a web designer job and took it. And I ended up at UCLA. Um, which so I got to stay in academics. So that was fun for a few years. Uh, uh, that like gave me a, a whole perspective that you guys will be familiar with. And my wife's a professor, so I, I know it now. But man, back then it was like, there's no sales. Um, there's no money. There's nothing to like fight about or measure yourself against. So it's I thought it was like um, pettiness and, and holding grudges for 20 years kind of fueled, especially... Like I remember showing up to work and I was in the, I was the social sciences computing, like web designer. And like the director telling me one day, don't help anyone in poli sci. They're all a bunch of assholes who have burned <laughs> so many bridges here. Like I would, I would just have an open mind, go to meetings. I like redid the anthropology site for them. And, and I would go to these like poli sci meetings. And then my, uh, my advisor would, um, the director would find out and be like, don't help those people. <laughs> so like, uh, then I went into the web and, you know, I uh, worked on blogger and then Metafilter and yeah, Slack and things like that. It's, it's funny, like your, your experience it's, you know, I, academia and higher education is not the real world, but you're, but you're right. You got to find something to compete on, right? It's, it's, uh, it's space and it's, um i know budgets sometimes grants how many grants you can get but it was yeah it was really funny to be in the absence of money and yeah and rushing features out what do they measure their worth against and they find all sorts of strange things to fight over um i do remember my favorite thing in the world was my going away party at the environmental consulting firm this is like december 1997 and one of my coworkers pulled me aside and said listen, man, congrats. Sounds like you're doing what you want to do. And like, you're going to go follow a dream, but you're leaving this field. And I got to ask, do you, do you think 
people are gonna like read news on their computer or like get the weather from it like <laughs> he was like i mean it seems cool now and i've seen the wired magazines and boy it just seems like it could be a flash in the pan thing and i was like <laughs> no i think it's here to stay buddy like yeah. i was like i think uh yeah i think i think computers are the future <laughs> I, I remember asking a, a faculty member uh, when I was in grad school, so this would have been um, the early 80s, uh, like, I want to get an email account. And he's looked at me, he's like, why would you want to get an email account? Right, like, right. Well, I, to communicate with people, apparently, uh, yeah. It's like, don't so. you have a secretary for that to answer your phone? And yeah. Read, I not uh, with read not reviewed or whatever yeah with the uh, stenographers uh right i think i had a CompuServe account like 1983 mm -hmm. and my like commodore 64 and i never dipped into the weird emails with all the numbers but a friend said yeah i met lots of people and i was like i was just using the wikipedia of the time like the encyclopedia on and, and thought that was amazing mm -hmm. uh, i wonder so today i had someone come to my office looking for a fax machine and <laughs> He's he's like uh, you have a fact like so I'm you know I, I'm where where I am right now there's there's probably forty or fifty offices and there's about six people that are here in in any like any given time it's a different it's a rotation of six different people um, so someone comes in he's like I got to fax something do you have a fax machine and I'm like no and and I wanted to tell him like we. We've not had a fax machine since, like, maybe since I've been here. Maybe that we did at one point, and I've been here almost 15 years. Like, it's, yeah, no. And and it's like, there are ways for you to fax that if to someone who needs a fax machine to receive it. But no, it's it's not, it's not going to happen. But but I think, I think, Ben, and you'll appreciate this, having recently published in Journal of Food Protection, I think they still ask for a fax number. So they do. What, do, what do you tell them? I'd scratch it. Fax? I, yeah, I just say not an NA. Not do not fa do not never fax me. There's you not want my one, fax number? Never do not think. There's of, not one department else. like like eight and one printer that can fax somewhere in the department like headquarters. It, <laughs> it's entirely possible, but the uh, the use case scenario that that happens, no one knows how to do it. Um, the well, last time I had to fax something, I like I had I had an e fax number twenty years ago, and like I remember when that yeah. was great and it was fun. And you get random faxes for pyramid schemes and stuff because people are just fax dialing things. But I was surprised. I think I paid 20 bucks for one month of a fax service so I could send like it's for a house buying or something. I had to yeah. send out a notarized thing like by fax to and from. I only had to use it for 10 minutes and I think I paid 20 bucks for one month and I had to cancel it just so I could do that because all the free ones were just a minefield of ter terrible stuff. Yeah. yeah yes. Uh I think the last time I actually faxed something was probably the same thing. It was related to a house and it was the two houses ago. And the last time I was like, do we need to fax this? And they're like, no, like we, this is the finally, faxing is finished. Finally, yes. the house buying and selling system has moved beyond the, <laughs> the last, yeah. uh, the last house I bought, I was drunk at a party and I just <laughs> fat fingered my phone to sign the official offer. And yes. I was like, we live in the goddamn future. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is a DocuSign is amazing. I don't even have an account. I'm on my phone. I just opened this random email and I just bought, you know, something that's the most expensive thing I've ever bought. That was great. And it's done. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. 
I couldn't believe it was binding and real. Oh, I wonder. I wonder if the like the way that we look at computers and technology and faxing now is going to be the same way we think about like how people work. Like I, I you know, just yeah. my my, you know, and and this is where the university system is. Um, you know, we're not we're not the fastest, right? Like like the the challenge of um, how how progressive thinking moves within academia. It's like it we 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 talk about how we're really at the cutting edge and it just takes years and years and years to to move. And I I see that and feel that now in um in the role that I have where certainly there are um there are folks within the university system, within my department, within the college that are like, when can everybody just get back here? Like, like when, when is that, like we, when's it, when's it all, when they're all coming back? Like where, where is everybody? If they could all just come back, it would be great. We'd be back to normal. It's like, no, man, it's never, it's never going to happen. Yeah. I got two things on that. And one is a friend just joined uh, meta uh, Facebook, you know, and just for the VR group. And he's just saying, we're going to laugh that we like had tw- like 20 years from now, we're going to laugh that we all had owned a laptop. Because we're all just going to like put on goggles and you have your infinite screens. Um, the only friends I know that are like serious about VR, uh, that isn't games. It's just like ginormous 70 foot monitors all around you is like all they want to do with VR. And I'm like, that sounds exhausting. But <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think that might be true. But like, yeah, my job at UCLA was like new tech. Uh, a lot of stuff. Like half my job was like testing out new tech for teaching. So it's like we had real media, sir. We had streaming video like this is 1997. I had like early pre 80211 before the mm-hmm. standard came out. We had Wi-Fi on our laptops and we were just trying to show professors like, look, it's kind of cool. You can walk around your house holding <laughs> this laptop. And and like I remember when the big I uh, was it a iBook, like when Steve Jobs debuted like the airport. And I remember being like, I've been living this for three years, trying to beg people to try it out. And it's like incredibly hard to convince them that like this is a, this is worth the effort. But uh, well, but yeah, it's it... like we had we had websites. Nineteen ninety seven at UCLA, we had a website for every class, had a discussion board, had file uploading and stuff, and you could ask the teacher questions to at, to a group where the entire class could see it. It was it was wild, and we had we offered them streaming video, streaming audio of their lectures, like in 1997. It was crazy. That is wild. But nobody took us up on it. Like maybe well, one or two professors I, that, that are way out there were that, trying that, these things. That's what. But, yeah. That's what I was. I was going to say is like, what is it about academia that it absolutely attracts people who are into the cutting edge, and yet at some point they're like, yeah, I don't want to do that. You know, I mean, again, it's academic freedom, I guess, to go and do whatever you want, which includes teaching with a chalk and a blackboard if, if yeah if I, I think academics always has one foot in the future and one foot yeah. 500 years in the past yeah and it's like yes i'm teaching alchemy just like every other newton <laughs> follower <laughs> like, like don't ask me to do something new my yeah. wife would be my wife was like implored by her university to like start a facebook account like 10 years ago and like kids just aren't emailing they just want to you know text you on facebook so you better and she was like no, screw you. I'm not going to sign up for a private party company that has nothing to do with our university just because that's convenient for my students. Like, screw you. They could keep emailing you. Yeah. It, it, it is a, um, I don't know. It, it it really is not like the real world, right? Like, because it, yeah. it, the the way that 
the I mean, Don and I work with with folks in the food industry and uh, the regulatory world's got its own real like slow, slow challenges um, because of the really because of the politics around it. Like they're, you know, they're the government and there's a, elected officials that that, you know, ultimately they have to answer to. But it's always interesting to hang out with friends that we have in the in the food industry or in a service provider industry. And they're like, yeah, we had an idea. And now, like three weeks later, we just did it. <laughs> like like everything is it's it's just done and maybe it was the wrong idea maybe it was the wrong decision but we 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 move so much so much faster and the trade off is you know we're there they they risk um getting sold and acquired and made redundant in a way that we know and you know it's, it's unlikely not you know a hot take of the day but like it's unlikely that NC State's going to merge with some other university in my career, um, or or be shut down. I mean, it could happen, but well, you could you, yeah. you could work at a university in Florida and and you know be detenured uh, for yes. saying critical things about the governor. That could happen. This is this is true. Yeah. Oh man, it's yeah, it's it's a it, it is a it's I don't know. It's all weird. I did love the academic world for being not real. I did you know, love yeah. that. Oh, this middle ground and as i'm looking at my own kids and their friends i'm like these these people need to learn how to become adults but we need to get them in a dorm which is like half of real life eh, it's a quarter of real life like all you gotta worry about is your clothes and laundromats but you don't have to worry about food dishes rent like all that stuff's taken care of like i like <laughs> that we we have this like farm league for becoming an adult um <laughs> yeah it's a bummer they're so expensive because i think they do a pretty good job yeah and they, and yeah, you kind of kind of ease them into the world, and and that all of a sudden they've got to deal with their own consequences, right? Like, yeah. yeah, and like working in a computer group at a university, it was like we were implored to always try every wacky thing in the world to figure out what would stick six months or two years before a professor would want it. So mm -hmm. we had, yeah, I built like printing kiosks because there's so many syllabi, you know, being passed around as PDFs, and people weren't comfortable. There was no mobile phones in 1997. Uh, you know, people wanted printouts, so we had to make free printing stations because students were paying like a dime a page. And we were like, yeah, that is messed up when every <laughs> professor gives you a 20 page syllabus. I mean, that's literally five to 10 bucks of printing. Um, so we had to set up free things for that. And just, yeah, we were buying every technology in the world and trying things out. Like mm -hmm. that was the fun part of, um, you know, the exploratory part of academics at the edge. But nobody. Cool. Yeah. Nobody would really use these things. We would we would get one professor to try lots of these things, but that was about it. Yeah. Well, yeah, and you, man, you might appreciate this having worked at Slack. Like Ben, correct me if I'm wrong, but you basically run your entire research group on Slack. Yeah, absolutely. And I, there's no one else in my department who knows what Slack is. Exactly. <laughs> like that. Like the like absolutely, and it, but. It, that's the paradox of slack it's like um same thing with my wife my wife loves it everyone in her department loves it except for one old holdout who's just like i'm never going to download that never going to interact so it double like you can get up to 99 percent adoption and you're do, you're doubling everyone's work because they have to email all important things to the one holdout yep. Yep. and there, we, we we never had a term for this internally but we talked about we called it at slack wall to wall when you got a hundred percent usage of slack everything got infinitely easier if hmm. if companies like fully bought into it and said this is a primary way of talking do not text me do not email me do everything in groups like don't try not to dm people constantly because that's annoying like try to do it in public channels 
And it's a new way of thinking and hard for people to wrap their head around because it's not familiar. Um, you know, it's the closest thing to, you know, like texting people and people don't really even group text that much. They're more about one-on-ones uh, and doing them in a public, you know, public to everybody in the organization is like a new concept. But yeah, I wish we had a name for the like, man, if you can't get 100%, <laughs> once you get to 100, the workload drops like a yep. rock. Yeah. yeah. And it all, it all really, I don't know. For our, our adoption level was me, you know, like I was running, running things and we kept like, we would sit down with the like leadership folks in my team and be like, we need a better way to know what everybody's doing, to be able to get to somebody quick, like all the things that it does. Right. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know if I can buy into this. Cause I got like, I got email and people. It's another inbox. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a, yeah, exactly. And then. So, so I, I became like, okay, let me, just let me commit. Let me try, let me try this out. And then as soon as I I was the last 1%, right? Like oh. everybody else was, <laughs> and then I was like, wait, how come we didn't do this earlier? And everyone's like, of yes. Right. Like You're trying, yeah. <laughs> we had to, like, just even having the searchability for documents, you just, I just like forget things less. And then everybody who's new that's come in since we've done this is like, you know, I don't know, four years ago or something like, don't like, here's the expectation. Don't email us. Don't like keep everything here. Everything that's related to what we do goes here. And then it's, you know, just, you're just adding to the, um, to the world that that's existing in Slack. Yeah. No, yeah. That was my most uh, compelling use case for it was like when, uh, you know, the CEO would talk about like the empty inbox syndrome when you join a company, and I would think, yeah, you know, think of the last job you, I mean, it took you three months of watching people email each other in the department to figure out everyone's personality and how they work together and what they're working on versus, you know, you could show up day one and just search old Slack stuff and look in your field and look outside your field. And you can even search for your own name. You can find people sometimes talking about considering hiring you and you see <laughs> funny backroom stuff. But like, yeah, one of the first interviews I did at Slack uh, for the blog was uh, a Harvard researcher that did some sort of blood cancer work. And this is in 2015, he adopted Slack just for his whole lab group. And uh, and like he talked about how like, you know, people could dip in and out. We all have these crazy lab hours. We're all running gas uh, chromatograph stuff. And like sometimes I've come at 2 a.m. And then and then it, it was like he made some like giant discovery that was like, I don't know, Nobel Prize winning or something off like a Slack message. Like someone just went, hey, this is weird in this uh, this blood iron work. Like, look at this. Mm -hmm. And he said it was posted two in the morning. He saw it at eight and they started talking about it. And this was a massive discovery that ended up in science or nature. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and I kept thinking of my own little like environmental lab that was like six of us. We all worked in our own thing, but we all shared resources. And I, like one of the first things I wrote for the Slack blog was an interview with this guy and then like, how do you how to deploy Slack to a tiny little science lab? Because I was like, this is something fresh in my mind from well, 20 years ago at that point. But like I remembered like you'd have to go through the the SRA, the staff uh researcher guy who ran the lab, you know, hey, we're running low in nitrogen. Hey, we need more like hydrofluoric acid and I don't want to touch it or get near it. But like we're running out of, and like, hey, the one of the hoods doesn't work and stuff. And being able to do that in Slack, you know, in a group setting where everyone could like talk about supplies being low or when they need to use something or, you know, I showed people how to do like automatic scheduling with Google calendar. So you could, you know, maybe there's a morning report that's like these three people are going to be hogging the centrifuge all day. And so like, don't mess with Carl from one to four, you know, et cetera. 
but yeah, like I think small group work, I think like Slack's amazing at um, the harder sell is larger and larger groups. Yeah. Uh, you know, thousands, like, you know, we tried to deploy Slack to hundreds of thousands of people, like Arizona state, I think ASU, the whole thing's on some one giant Slack. And I'm like, that's a nightmare and terrible. Mm. And like, <laughs> I think they did finally have to build in a whole bunch of like community features of it because it was 250,000 users or something. And like, you know, D, be, being a guy DMing cute girls is creepy. And like, we had to build tools to block that and like- stuff. Yeah, let's not. Yeah, let's not have that. I remember um, being like, "Do not deploy this to all of ASU just on one day, please don't." Like, please, let's ease people into it, please. And oh. it, I think they sold a big contract and got everyone on it all at once. Oh my gosh. Um. So, all right. So, Matt, we talked uh, about um, you know, a little bit about food outside of uh, the U.S. I, I so I've got a question for you that that like is something that I think when Don and I talk with folks who are outside of the food safety world i i you know i like to ask because i think it's really interesting like wh- when when people like i mean you 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 know about us and the things that we that we do when someone says food safety to you what is that like what do you what do you worry about and what does that mean because i know what it means to, to me and i think yeah. I know what it means to dawn but i and I, we're always like talking circularly within our world of like food safety, this, right. But, it, but stepping outside, it's always interesting to hear what, yeah. what others think about. I think the 10 mile up view of food safety to me is like, I mean, I think cause maybe cause I know you guys slightly from osmosis. Uh, I think of it as like well-intentioned nerds protecting us kind of like, <laughs> kind of like a uh, you know massive CDC. Anyone who works for the CDC is probably a nice person who really doesn't want us to have mass die-offs. And I feel the same as about food food safety. I, I mean, I keep thinking of like spinach trying to kill us with E. coli for the last ten years or so, and like where are all the weird aspects of you know um, our changing climate. How is it going to have weird ripple effects? That are going to affect like our food system and stuff. So I yeah I think of food safety as like well-intentioned nerds who are looking out for us and trying to protect us and maybe the rules are not as fast as we want them to be or something like people complain about the FDA for and against constantly but um but I think in the absence I mean in a, in a system of pure capitalism we're going to have an acceptable number of people dying from hamburgers every year and like that's ridiculous to me and uh, I'm okay with like you know clamping down on things harder to save more people but um, yeah, I guess I think of food safety as a pretty, you know, like a thing that just happens in the background that's keeping us all safe. And, you know, yeah, big fan. That's, <laughs> I mean, that's glad to hear it. Yeah, but that's kind of I mean, that's kind of awesome because I, I, I don't think. I don't know. I don't think we we think of ourselves as well-intentioned nerds, but that's really good. I mean, I think that's exactly what we're what we're trying to do. Um with what we focus on. I sometimes we I probably up, never thought of it until it was like, don't eat the spinach is going to kill you like yeah. five years ago, 10 years ago, whenever I heard it for the first mm-hmm. time, I was like, what? How is that? How is spinach ever bad for you? And then realizing, oh my God, well, all these second order and third order and fourth order effects, like we're putting too many cows in too small of areas due to land use policy. You know, I'm like going down the rabbit hole of like, why did this happen? And it's, oh, and we've also relaxed this one rule. And then we relaxed this other rule. And it was cheaper for this company to do it in one way. You know, everything's 10 steps away from, uh, I guess it's kind of like uh, airline accidents, right? Like 
uh, flight is really safe now. We've got great autopilot and stuff. And the the times where something breaks and a plane crashes are like 10 compounded, bizarre, one in a million things on top of each other. Yep. Uh, and that's what we're getting at with food. And especially when you're trying to feed 7.8 billion people, you know, you're going to get out to those weird edge cases a lot more. Um, and yeah, yeah. But, but, you know, it, it, it's interesting. Like, I, I think that for whatever reason, and we saw this with the pandemic, right? Like we had a 9-11 style catastrophe every week during the pandemic. And people are arguing about whether they should get vaccinated or whether they should have to wear masks. And so there is something about a, a car crash or a plane crash where it's like, okay, something went wrong and all of these people died suddenly versus, well, something went wrong and a bunch of people all over the country got really sick from E. coli and some people died, right? But the but the 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 second and third order and, and even more order effects too were really interesting. Like for in many of these cases, we don't know what caused the outbreak, right? We know with that spinach outbreak that you were alluding to that they never did find the cause, but they did find the outbreak strain or a closely related strain in wild pig feces, right? That was found mm -hmm. in the area. But what 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 maybe you don't know, which I think is an interesting, turns out, you know, multi-order effect is that pigs get loose in, in the environment and they revert to feral pigs really quickly. Um, but you know what? Um, and farmers don't like it when they go in and destroy their fields. But on the other hand, if they can make a little bit of extra money by letting people, apparently they're a lot of fun to hunt, right? And so if you can make a little bit of extra money, letting people like not totally get rid of the wild pigs and then have people come in, you know, and, and hunt those pigs. Well, that's extra revenue. It's like, well, okay. Yeah. But they're pooping on the spinach. Right. But, but, but it's, you know, so it, there, there's, yeah, it's uh it's nice. It's nice when you can figure something out and you can prove something, but so often in food safety, that doesn't happen. Right. And, and we, we, we like to have stories that are nice and neat and tidied up and, and it doesn't like daily. We talked about, I briefly mentioned daily harvest earlier. That's another one where it's still like, we don't really know what went wrong there. And we may, we may never know. And, and that's unfortunate, but that's, but that's life. Yeah. yeah. And, sorry, Matt, go ahead. No, go ahead. One. And I, and I think that like when I talk to my friends who are not in the world of food safety or my parents or my family, I think there's this, this view of, and, and rightfully so like food is, is safe. Like it shouldn't make us sick. And then these events, um, you raise the profile a little bit, but what, what I think we encounter sometimes, which is not the same in airlines or trains or transportation stuff is like, Oh, well, how old were the people that got sick? Oh, well, they're, you know, they're probably going to die soon anyway, right? Like, yeah, they're at higher, high, you know, higher likelihood, but you never like, and we, I mean, for, for us, because the, you know, the, the very old and the very young are at higher risk for foodborne illness, it becomes a conversation even within our world quite a, quite a bit, but you, you know, no one's like, wow, that was a really old person who was on that train. So, you know, we, let's not worry. Let's not worry. Who's taking the train anyway, kind of, kind of stuff, which right. is, a, yeah. Um, and, and so I think that that's a, that's an interesting aspect. And we did see it like, um, you know, amongst the, uh, the discussion of the pandemic of like, yeah, well, you know, the, 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 all, all the sort of conversation about what goes on someone's like death certificate. It's such a morbid, you know discussion it gets wrapped up really you know politically and 
And I think we're in a weird spot. Don and I haven't talked about this, but I think with the like food being a real focus of inflation talk, it, it's only going to get harder for resources to be dedicated to keep food safe and make food safer, right? Like, like the part of the answer to some of the stuff that we focus on is like, well, someone's going to have to spend some more money within the system to, you know, to address some of the things as we do find them. And it's our, it's already an uphill battle and, and, you know, without a 20% inflation over a, a five-year period and, and, and retailers who we work with a lot are not interested in passing that cost at all to consumers because they're concerned that people are going to stop, you know, buying food or looking for other coping me- mechanisms. Like it is, it's really like all wrapped up in, in this. Yeah. And, and I think, yeah, the, uh, the inflationary pressure is just gonna like stress all these weak connections and oh yeah. man, it's messed up. Yeah. And we already we already saw the stress of the weak connections and supply chain at the start of the pandemic yeah. around food. And and it's gonna like it's gonna get messier. You know, I don't and and I like I, I think it's um so as a total aside, we Don Don and I jumped into a conversation last night on Twitter that was about uh pumpkin pie. And, and, but you'll see where, like, I will, I I will land the plane on this uh, in our conversation. You know, the person who was asking about is a food writer for Bloomberg, who I happen to follow. She was like, Hey, um, I forgot to put this pumpkin pie in the refrigerator. Uh, When I got home, I bought it at a farmer's market. Am I going to get sick? And just kind of put it out there. And someone like immediately responded, was like, no, it's just fine. You're good. And I was like, well, you know, turns out there might be some risks associated with, with this, but this is one where pumpkin pie purchased at a grocery store that's sitting on a shelf is different from the pumpkin pie that someone purchases in a, in a farmer's market by generalization. Right. And, and Don and I got some other information from this person who kind of confirmed it. Like that, if you go and walk into, you know, the, my Publix or Food Lion or Harris Teeter or whatever I've got here, and I get that pumpkin pie, it's probably going to have some potassium sorbate in it that's going to inhibit bacterial growth. And that's why they don't need to refrigerate it. That's why it's a like, and if it did need to be refrigerated, it would be a $9 pumpkin pie versus a $5 pumpkin pie because of the process, right? And, like it's needed. And, and someone and someone has probably done a challenge study, hopefully a good one. Uh, hopefully they've got a pH measurement, a water activity measurement, you know, they've controlled those preservative levels, you know, but, but, ha- but, you know, how would, how would a normal person know that? Right. Right. Like that's, that's the thing. Right. And the, you know, I don't know how much a pumpkin pie costs at a farmer's market, um, but more. it's, yeah, but it's more. Yeah. Right. Like it's, it's going to, and, and the the person who's producing that pumpkin pie is recovering more of of the cost of that pumpkin. Like there's that that there there are lots of good things about it, but it's so like it's to, to, I don't know for for Don and I, the question becomes about the pumpkin pie, not about where and who made it. It, it, like, or the question that comes to us is about the pumpkin pie, and we want to know more about where and who made it because that really helps us understand the food safety aspect of it. Well, it, you and, know, yeah. And I was thinking about this last night too, um, and I didn't share it with with anybody, but it is something I think about a lot. It's like, well, okay, so what's the actual risk to that person from that pumpkin pie? And the advice that we gave was, it's risky, and you should you should throw it out. But 
Um, but probably you could you could do that a hundred times and 99 times you'd be just fine, right? But here's the thing. So so on an individual basis, yeah, the risk is one in a hundred. So you roll that dice if you if you really want some pumpkin pie. But if I'm the farmer and I've made 10,000 pumpkin pies and I, I don't include refrigeration directions and now one in every 100 of my customers is sick, that's a way different risk calculation. It's the same. It's the same. It's the same math, but it's yeah. the perspective of the serving versus the perspective of the company, right? And if it's perspective of the company, well, you're going to want to be hopefully pretty risk averse, and you're not. You know, you, you can't really make a living making one out of every 100 customers sick, right? <laughs> but, but again, I'm in a like, weird well, place I, in like an aggy part of Oregon <laughs> where I have like. Uh, Places I know I can go get a fresh made pie that's amazing, but the company also makes mass produced frozen pies, which are going to yeah. be a completely different recipe. Uh, and I'll, yeah, I would have different, I'd have different risk uh, vectors on both of those different pies. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I think that's the, like, that's the weird world that Don and I live in, right? Is, is trying to navigate that. And where I talk to, you know, friends that I, that I play hockey with, or I coach their, their kids, that is not a conversation, right? They're like, it's a pumpkin pie. Pumpkin pie is a pumpkin pie. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like, no, it's, it's a little, there's more, there's more to it to that. And, but I also don't want you to worry that a pumpkin pie is not a pumpkin pie. Like, I right, like, yeah, yeah. like, like, like the fact that we're, it kind of reflects that we're doing our job, right? Like a little bit in, yeah. in our, in our, in our world of food safety. How much, how much science knowledge do I need to show you to convince you, but not terrify you? Yeah. Um, there was a really interesting, uh, I was listening to today's, uh, my brother, my brother and me, and they just mentioned an offhand passing, a strange rule I'd never, food rule I'd never heard about, which was, in the state of Montana, you can only sell milk for 12 days after it's pasteurized. And I didn't even know that as an attempt to over-index, yeah. I think, on safety. And I was just sitting there going like, and they were just making jokes about food or something or how they throw out milk instead of giving it to homeless people. And I was just thinking like, what cascade of systematic failures came up with that as a food safety rule? And why did they implement it? Man, that's going to like change every and apparently dairies are moving out of the state like in droves because they can't even it's just not profitable to throw out that much milk well and and, and yeah. yeah and it's it, living in new jersey we get milk occasionally that says this milk expires on x date except in new york city where it expires on one day earlier right <laughs> and so it's the same milk the bacteria don't know where they are and 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 here's the other thing Matt, that again people don't get is the milk has been pasteurized it should not contain any pathogens or it should not at least contain any vegetative pathogens now maybe uh maybe it contains um spore forming organisms but you know what they're not really going to grow in milk that's properly refrigerated and so the the logic behind why it has to be that is it's a, a, it's that decision about what number of days to put on milk that's a policy decision right it's it's informed by the science but there's not a there's not like an equation that you turn the crank and it tells you 12 days right it's like well yeah there, maybe there's some equations if you really want to be fancy but ultimately you're 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 drawing a line somewhere that's based on uh, again you know to your earlier comment like capitalism and how many people do you are you willing to put at risk for how much money do you want to make i mean unfortunately or fortunately yeah. whatever it, it is what it is 
Well, and milk, milk's like, I mean, I think it's a hot topic button in the world of food safety for so many reasons, but I, I'm constantly, I guess, amazed by, you, you know, the, the fact that our palate in North America is all about like fresh refrigerated milk. And if you go to South America where you have shelf stable Tetra Pak milk, so it's a it's a different conversation not about about food safety but it's it's got a you know it's certainly a slightly different flavor but it's not something that's ever been able to make it into the market here in North America we're really like we buy milk a really expensive way and that that doesn't re- like really need to be that that way from a purchasing standpoint but it's about preference and it's about the policies that have been enacted and and in you know in, in the strength we're used of- to yeah, what we're used to, and the strength of a dairy lobby that, yeah, that yeah. Has, is built around it, like all of that, right? Like there, it is really. I remember going to a supermarket in France, and the eggs are just out, yeah. right? They're not in a cooler. Yeah. No, nope. and, and and when I said, "What the hell?" They were like, "What the hell?" Like, where do you think <laughs> chickens lay eggs? They don't lay them in refrigerators. And I'm like, right. "Yeah, but I mean, ours are always in refrigerators." <laughs> and like, yeah, room temp eggs were something to get used to. Well, and you know, people like people talk about sushi and they're like, well, you know, they eat a lot of sushi in Japan. I'm like, yeah, you know what they also have a lot of in Japan? Vibrio infections. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and and each, like, I mean, we someone should do a podcast on the weird food laws that exist in in different places. Cause I know coming from from Canada, I'm gonna totally butcher this one, but um no bags pun intended. Yeah, well, bags <laughs> of milk, yeah. But but margarine can't look like butter. Right. Like it has right. to be un like it has to be a different color. It can't be and it goes back like I don't know, like a hundred years when we started making margarine, where the, the dairy lobby was like, people are gonna think that this is real butter and it's not real butter. And so it has to be fully like dyed super, super yellow that is unnatural or undyed and just look like lard. Like it's nothing that is the tint, like it's it, it can't be confused. And it's like, whoa, but it's still like, that's still part of the, the world of, right. and, yeah. yeah. And historically, the other, cra- the other oh. Canada thing I remember is craft dinner. Cause he yeah. can't use the word cheese. Cause it's not technically it's, cheese enough. <laughs> it's not mac and cheese. It is craft. Yeah. It is craft dinner. Yep. Yeah. Well, oh. and you know, there, I think, I think, I think this is, I think this is correct. I probably can't find the link, but there's rules about like frozen pizzas. And it was actually because of the rules about frozen pizzas and having to have certain ingredients, it was actually stifling innovation because back in the day, you didn't want someone to to, like, like dairy products and, and fats especially are expensive, right? And so you didn't want someone cheating the customer by lowering the fat content. Well, Everybody, or at least, you know, back in whenever that was when we were all eating snack wells or some people were eating snack wells, not me. Um, I never bought into that. But uh, but, you know, the idea that, OK, so if we're going to if people want low fat foods, um, we should we shouldn't. We, yeah, we'll have to we'll have to label it craft dinner <laughs> instead right. of macaroni and cheese. Yeah, it, yeah, it's I don't know this. It, it's funny, like it's all wrapped up in, in it's somewhere. Someone's like this, you know this is a food safety reason, right? Like this, we're doing this to protect you, the customer. We're doing this for food safety. And like Don said, it's a, it's a very odd risk management decision sometimes that, that you can kind of point, point to, oh yeah, we're doing this. We're doing this for food safety. I, I always think of the like different, um, 
you know, the different tastes in us chocolate versus Canadian and, and like UK chocolate. And it's all about those, like, you know, rules about what you can call chocolate and how much milk fat can be in it. And all, you know, all of that is, is part of that, that, you know, that, that situation. Yeah. We, we, we just have really odd and antiquated rules. Yeah, it is fun. I would say the funnest uh, thing I love most doing visiting a foreign country is go to a supermarket mm. just to see what, uh, why is this place wacky compared to where you're from and why are you wacky compared to them and stuff like, uh, you know, going to Belgium and seeing like an entire row about sprinkles because like one of their most beloved desserts is like buttered bread and you like put an entire bottle yeah. of sprinkles and they consider mm. it like a donut. And I'm just like, and they, uh, of course, because of frites, uh, the mayonnaise aisle was gigantic. Uh, there's a TikTok video going around of a Wisconsin like store, uh, frozen pizza aisle, and it goes forever. It's like a 30 second video, and it's 700 brands of frozen pizza, and and everyone's going, "This is insane, American excess." Oh my god, you know, foreigners are like, "Oh, of course, America." But then Americans are like, dude, it's Wisconsin. This is where the cheap, this is where the factories are. Yeah. Of course, we'd have a larger selection than Louisville or or LA. Uh, but it, it's pretty, it's insane when you see the video. Oh, that's pretty funny. One of the, one of the, and I think Ben, I've, I've shared this before, I think on this podcast, but one of the, our f- favorite fun things to do these days when we're like winding down at the end of, TV watching is to check out the Tri Channel, which is basically uh, a bunch of Irish people eating, uh, trying different things from around the world, um, but including weird foods, including weird American foods sometimes. And it's just great to just watch them riff and talk about like perspectives on like weird foods and which ones they like, and which ones they don't. <laughs> oh, um, I, I got just, a good uh, food safety tweet for you guys. I got to paste in the chat. Oh, nice. Here we go. After repeated bouts of bacterial infections, hospital visits, and chronic diarrhea, I will be eating my last raw meal for the unforeseeable future. <laughs> Back to eating cooked, burnt diet like a cock. And here it is. It's raw <laughs> eggs, probably milk. From raw, raw milk. Yeah. Oh, unpasteurized honey. Yeah. And then just uh, some, some raw beef. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's awesome. It's not a good diet. No. It's a risky one. It's probably yeah. a good diet, but it's just risky. Well, what told... is your guys' take on raw milk? Oh, oh. <laughs> like it's we a whole a... like yeah. lifestyle out here, and I never yeah. understood it. I do understand ultra pasteurization. Like seeing a date three months in the future at the store is foreign to me as a kid of the seventies and eighties. Like that's crazy. Milk in my mind shouldn't last more than a month. But on the <laughs> other end, I'm not gonna. I'm. I'm close to farms. I'm not going to just drink raw milk. That's <laughs> insane. So we, um, th- this has been a topic that we, we like talked about a lot, Don and I, and we're both in, I think weird situations in, in the States that we work in as state employees where raw milk's illegal in our states okay. to sell. Yeah. Um, but, and, and this is, I think where you know, then Don can chime in um, from from his perspective here. But where I kind of lie is people are going to do risky things, right? Like people are going to make risky decisions. People are going to eat raw oysters that are riskier than cooked oysters. And they're going to eat steak tartare and um, and like, you know, cannibal sandwiches um, that, that are riskier. And we don't legislate that those are illegal things, right? So, so like if someone comes to me and it was like, I would like to figure out how to make my steak tartare less risky. I, I've got a like 
a function that I can help them with. But if a raw milk producer came to me and said, I want to figure out how to make my raw milk less risky. I'm like, Hey man, you're like, it's illegal. <laughs> like and that's the end of the answer. Like that's the end of the answer. And so, so I think that there's somewhere in between raw milk is not something I would choose to drink. I think it's certainly risky, but I think making it contraband makes a black market for it and yeah. it makes it worse. It makes yeah. it like way, way harder to manage. But I think Oregon it is like re, not like you. I think you can get cow shares and buy yeah. directly from from a farm. South Carolina, um, you can do the same thing. They they fully like mandate that the dairies submit to pathogen testing. Which oh, if nice. someone here, what we've done, which I, I mean, I've I've been a vocal um, opponent to this. We you can't sell raw milk unless you sell it that it, like it's for pet consumption only right oh yeah. right but you can go to a farmer's market and find someone selling like a gallon 15 dollar or 18 dollar gallon of pet food, like raw milk and everybody's like yep wink wink this is for <laughs> that your- just happened to me where i was at the super nice natural food pet store right to buy this because i've never had a dog in my life before she just turned three years old uh and she, her 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 food is a special like french stuff that's 70 bucks a bag and i had to buy a new one every month i was like oh that's interesting how they give you exactly 30 days worth and you know, <laughs> a monthly basically a monthly plan but there was this cooler and they had like all this cheesy you know dog and cat food that's like real meat and then there was like, three quarters of the cooler was raw milk raw goat milk raw yep and i was like what the hell dude i don't give this to kittens like who is using this and he's like oh it's just kind of like a front for hippies to buy it off us <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so it's like, like yeah. get around the rule right it's not yeah. it's not human food here we only sell pet food yeah <laughs> yeah so like so i actually like i don't know i think it makes it worse right instead of saying okay let's figure out a way to do it but the pressures like the traditional food safety microbiologists of which Don and I are not, I think aligned with would be like, no, we fixed the milk problem a long time ago with pasteurization. It is, it is like forever. It should be illegal. Don't open the door. It's like, (laughs) it's already opened. Like, yeah, it's like when those, when those bands started coming out, you'd find, Oh, everything is complex. Everything's a million grades. Like there's, there's someone with a really strange disease who needs it in a mixture for other yep. stuff for nutrients and like for that one person, you know, it saves their life and like, it doesn't need to be blanket banned, but I had an environmental toxicology course in grad school where hmm. like we had this old uh, teacher who just told us, you know, to just do like your own personal, <laughs> like, like he, he was like, I don't want to make blanket statements, but he, he kept, you know, he was, he was from India and he was like, I would never drink water in India. You know, I go there. I drink, always drink beer from a glass bottle, never a can. Like he had all these and I'd be like, yeah, he kind of helped me with, uh, you know, how to do your own personal uh, risk assessment at, in the moment. Like, like I just had a big plate of raw oysters for my birthday and I was stoked about it. And now I'm thinking, I boy, that must have been bad. I but I, I was yeah. like a, a mile from where it was harvested. They were massive. They were delicious. That was great. I was like, this, this was caught this morning. Like, I feel like this is the lowest risk possible. 
Well, um, well, and then the the question is like, what I'm sure there are rules in place about where you can harvest, right? And they do testing of the water, and yeah, and all, I mean that, that to me, that's the bigger thing is not not so. Yes, I mean to know that they were their local is good, but more importantly, like what's the what's the regulatory system in place to make sure that they're not harvesting from you know beds that might be contaminated, right? Like, right. Although the, my microbiome background, like uh. Um, uh, there's a lot of oyster farms in the Oregon coast and people love them and they're environmentally great, right? The water comes out cleaner. It's like right. literally oh, yeah. passing through oh, yeah. filter feeders Got and yep. Yep. the That's ocean the is better. It's not like a salmon farm where there's all this poop everywhere, but no, these things are improving the ocean, but then I'm like, well, they're concentrating whatever was bad. Like yep. that was the one thing I learned in environmental toxicology. Like as much as you can avoid it, never eat an organ meat, never eat a kidney, like never eat these sinks for, you know, these things that chelate really gnarly metals and stuff and, and bind up in bird bodies or cow bodies. Like that was the professor's kind of like one, maybe the only blanket statements he is like just very rarely eat liver or awful. Like it, you have to be at the fanciest place in the world to even touch that stuff. <laughs> Cause we would, yeah, we would like look at data all day of, uh, you know, um, cadmium levels. This was fun in mm. California where I was at this ag university. They measured cadmium levels in in plants uh, next to freeways, and because it's a brake lining, it was yep. like skyrocketing. And it was just your proximity to the roadway. It was how yep. much cadmium was in your food, and then how that concentrate up the food chain. Like that was a popular, I think, nineteen seventies uh, research topic. And so, yeah, yeah, and and it's you know eat it. One, you know, eat the kidneys or liver once a year, not daily, right? Like yeah. that's the the other thing with with the with the toxicology side of things. Yeah, yeah. and, and I, I mean, I think that the one thing that we and sorry, Donna, you probably want to talk about raw milk since I've already just like monopolized this conversation, but um, we'll come back. We'll come back to you in a minute. Uh, the the one thing that um that I I, I do think that we have a challenge with in food safety is the the space that Don and I are in. It's all about risk. It's all about these calculations, right? Like if we had a direct line of if you drink raw milk, you will get sick, right? Like if it was not, not, you know, it's just, we know that that's going to lead to an illness. There's a whole different conversation, but the fact that it's, there are lots of different factors and it's, it's a, it's a, we're trying to manage a risk of what's the likelihood that it's there. What is it that we're looking for? There's so many different factors where the, I think the old school thinking is don't let people make those decisions. We'll make the decision for them and be ultra, ultra conservative with it. Um, it, when it comes to milk, but we'll, you know, but when it comes to oysters, we'll treat them differently. And I think that that's really like fascinating, right? To live. Well, in that I, space. I mean, it does mess with the public's perception of, you know, scientists, they think everything is black and white and absolute. Mm -hmm. And every mm -hmm. scientist I know was like, everything right. is the answer is it depends on every question. They're like, what's yeah. the point of science? If it's just, it depends. That's what I would come up with. But it's like, <laughs> no, when you know a lot about the universe, Huge. There's so many caveats. You cannot make blanket statements. Uh, yeah. I was just reading like this morning, just surfing Twitter. I found like some anti-vaxxer somehow like two links away from where I was. And I was like, wow, this person's like really proudly still saying I never got a jab and I'm so happy like three years into this. And I'm just like, man, what is this guy fighting against? What Except for his own safety. Like, what's the point?
Well, once you're once you buy in, you gotta you can't back down, right? Like yeah. that, like like it's oh sunk costs, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your 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 whole life is a lie if uh, if you start you know walking away from it. Yeah, my my in laws visited the, this weekend, and so we, we hadn't seen them since the pandemic started, and I'm pretty sure they're unvaccinated. We didn't talk about that, but my my father in law, I gave him a ride somewhere, and we, he did sort of get into climate change and how he thinks it's not real, and I'm like, okay, that's fine, yeah, whatever. It's like, wow, there's a there's a scientist out there and she's written a hundred books and she says it's not real. It's like, okay, that's that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Do you think fine. you're gonna you think you're gonna convince me? I mean, I, I it's not, there's not really any point in even even arguing, right? And that, I don't and know how anyone over the age of 50 yeah. can even look at well, their childhood and be like, nothing resembles what I remembered as a kid. It's all like, the same. Yeah. Like <laughs> I grew up in Southern California where it was like 72 degrees every day, Fahrenheit, and like once a year it'd be 100 degrees and i can go there in january and it's in the 90s and i'm getting sun and it's great and it's like this is a completely different planet to the to this area yeah yesterday yesterday in oregon it was like 88 degrees fahrenheit it was crazy hot and windy it's like this is the middle of october this is at the asinine it's crazy mm-hmm. it's a uh, yeah it's all it's all weird but so, i do know uh the first indicator that i believed in climate science like that was outside of you know i was actually like working i had climate classes and stuff in the 90s uh was a friend went to a wine industry conference in like 2002 or something and she was like and this was like wine con whatever for for wine big winery owners uh, a lot of napa people and they were just like and she came back she said there was just this mantra just start buying land in oregon washington and british columbia just like 20 years from now, Santa Barbara wines will be available in Vancouver and, you know, reds will be made in Alaska. Just start buying up. And I was like, <laughs> I was going, what? They were and she's like, yeah, 100% dead serious. Every single person ever spoke on a panel was like, you guys need to be making climate like 20, you know, like we're in a industry. It's not as bad as like olive, you know, olive grapes or olive oil is a 75 year, you know, life you make, you plant olive trees for your grandchildren. You plant wine grapes for your children to make money off of in a business. But they're saying, yeah, with this 20, 30 year view, we always have to have of wine grapes. You guys should be buying land like crazy up in the state of Washington. And I was like, whoa, those, those are strong economic factors pushing those talk, that talk. And yeah. those people bought in so early. I mean, it was 2002. I was, you know, still starting to see it. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, if the wine industry is 100,000% on board with it, I, this is going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Like, they're not, I mean, they're somewhat scientists, but like they see the reality in their yields every year. Yeah. Right, right, right. And they don't want to be the one who missed, right? Like, that we owe oh, that they didn't do it. Like, oh. And right now, like, right now where I live, I'm in the wine country of Oregon. Popola wine, like a whole bunch of big giant Napa producers are buying up like every winery up here. Um, because I think they're gonna probably make the Napa grapes up here in like 10 years because it'll get too hot for the current Pinot Noir grapes. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Don. We uh I think oh. we, we left the world of uh, raw milk. Oh, and, that's okay. Uh, we'll link to uh we'll link to um raw milk Amsterdam, which is was uh one of our one of my favorite episodes. <laughs> yes, uh, food safety talk fifty-three, and then we'll also link to fifty-five. Uh, entitled Damn Ignorant PhDs, where we bring on uh, David Gumpert, who is a raw milk uh, promoter, um, who who heard us talking about him. And so we 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 invited him on to talk 
about it. And then the other, the other thing too, I'll just to close the loop on, um, I'm, I was looked at my phone a minute ago because I got a, a, a notification from the, 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 the cool ranch discord. Somebody was sharing that exact same tweet, Matt, that you just shared with us. So, so <laughs> the food safety world is uh, it's, you know, it's hard to get away from people like, Oh, you're going to want to see this. So it's great. Oh man. I love a weird niche discord. Uh, some friends in Portland are obsessed with, um, uh, they're all in a discord about, um, was it food industry? Like the, the the things they do on uh my brother my brother and me is a joke all the the goofy marketing they all get industry food food industry like press release right. fire hoses and they're just right. everything is ridiculous and obscene yeah. and like yeah like like Krispy Kreme announces a bacon barbecue you know with two pounds of meat on every donut like that that's the stuff they pass around it's hilarious nice. Well, I don't know. Like we've had Matt here for for a while. What uh, anything else we uh, we want to talk about? No, I will. I will share with you. I believe I have a hard out at four. Oh. Um, I gotta I gotta double check. I think I might be meeting with a student. So, well, but I, I but I still got fifteen minutes almost. Yeah. Um, you want me to well, dip out and you guys <laughs> close it up? Do you have any more questions for us? No, um, since you got us here. God, raw milk, eating butts. Uh, <laughs> I think we covered it. We covered the gamut. Yeah. Why is uh, salad dangerous? <laughs> Why are people crazy? Oh, here, I got one for you. Let Here's a link. So here's the crossover between um, food safety and technology right here. And I will read for the for the listeners. Oh, 3D printers. 3D yeah. food printers are already a science fact, not far-fetched science fiction. So uh, what what do we, you know, what do you what do you think here? Are people gonna be uh buying uh 3D food printers for their kitchens and then printing out cuts of meats? Or uh is you know, I don't know. Will will someone somewhere be buying a 3D food printer? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Are they going to? Are they the microwave um, of the future, where we're all going to have them in our kitchens? I'm not so sure. Not what is the, what is the source material? I don't even. Oh, this is like, a, like I yeah. know 3D printers and I know plastic 3D printers and they use different plastics. And then a friend has like a five hundred thousand dollars 3D printer that prints out like titanium metal. And I'm like, what? How does that work? Yeah. And then. Food, food has lots of ingredients. I do not understand what your spools of yeah. raw material you'd start with, even though well, it's cool and Star Trek-y to like print something well, out. And I, th- but. I think my chefs might do it, you know, I think that will, if I had to look to where it's first going to go, it's, it's a chef that wants yeah. to do some, you know, cool dessert that's like structured or spun, you know, edible chocolate sounds. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that sounds. Can, can you take a look at the article though and scroll down to the third picture which is my favorite one that has no reference at all. <laughs> 3D printed pair. Yes, 3D uh, printed pair. Which what, really, what is that? What is it? Is it plastic? Is it, I don't know. To eat it? it? I think it's just a staged photo. Yeah, it's just a yeah. pair underneath the 3D printer. Um, that is the strangest photo. <laughs> yeah. And so how did someone make that? And why would I need to, to 3D print a pair? Um, that seems like a lot of work uh, for uh, for something. Yeah. That you I, could make I, pretty cheaply on a on a tree. On a tree, yes, yeah. It could three D three D. It just needs sun there. and water. That's too complex. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the um, so Matt, we every once in a while, Donald and I'll check out this uh, food safety news 
website because they they do a oh, pretty yeah. good job daily. Like it's kind of our our little world. <laughs> One of their nav items is outbreaks. I love it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Outbreak recalls. Yeah, yeah, they're all over. Actually, there is one that um, I wasn't sure what we were going to talk about today, but there is a cool outbreak here. Or I mean, not cool, but there was a cool, cool outbreak. Yeah, cool for cool. I, I heard about it before when it was cooler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, here you go. Like salmonella outbreak linked to cookies that were baked in a home. This we talk about like the deregulation of food and a lot, and this is the first outbreak that i can think of linked to some of the stuff we're like ah oh, this is going to be different risks and how does this all look but this is yeah um pumpkin Sounds pie like a farmer's market maybe i think it was sold at a farmer's market but it was made in someone's home pumpkin wow. pie stuffed cheesecake cookies that were um yeah they were made just mm. in someone's home and sold at a farmer's market you know there you go it's the future yeah. of food safety there it is. <laughs> you can get sick from foods made right ne- next to you right near you and 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 uh printed 3d printed pairs <laughs> those, are, those are the two things people are making food in their home and printing it too huh well i think that's i think that's a show i, I think that's uh that's a food safety talk this is how we we awkwardly end things that like <laughs> okay. every every single episode ends with and, and the listeners we, asking should i go now well <laughs> they know they've hung around here enough where we we officially end with me saying bye and then don says bye, bye. yeah and then if we have a guest the guest also says bye so the just so you know how it rolls here so um yeah that's uh i think we'll we'll just call that a show okay bye bye, bye. thumbs up from matt <laughs> Thanks so much. Well, thank, thank How long so we've been Matt. going? Jesus, uh, two hours. Two hours. Two hours. Yeah. Wow. We, told you we just talk. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a natural ninety minute. Um, I like recorded the. We did a Metafilter podcast once a month for ten years, and it was almost always ninety minutes. <laughs> Whether or not we try, let's go small today. Let's go big. It was always ninety minutes. The when mm. people are tired ish, and yeah. Then, yeah, they peter out. It takes yeah. And and sometimes when you get on a topic and just like go for a little bit, and then it's like, oh, wait a second, where what are we gonna do for like now? Or where you know, how, yeah. <laughs>
So, oh, this is awesome. Thanks so much for, for joining All us. Right. Don, thanks for... Uh, I will hit you guys up if I ever start indulging in lab-grown meat or 3D-printed pairs. Yeah. Oh, please do. Yeah, Figure yeah don't, absolutely. Don't don't hesitate to hit us up anytime. <laughs> we'll have to have to have you come come back and talk. You and Ben can nerd out over mountain biking. I know. Oh, yeah. We yeah. didn't even get into mountain biking. Oh, man. You're in North Carolina. That's kind of... It's, a good place to be very good yeah it's yeah. it's legit we uh last summer we went we, we drove to arkansas to go to bentonville and oh yeah like did a whole week there the, the whole family was awesome so Just seeing the uh, uh you know videos of someone putting a gopro on their head riding out of a bike shop down the center road and then just diving between two bushes to a full-on like 10 minute ride yeah you know downhill is like extraordinary and all because Two of the Walton boys are like nerds who like cycling. Yep. And so now they've bought bike companies and like that's Bike Town USA. And uh, it's so weird. A friend of mine's like a trans um, woman cycling advocate for like the last 20 years. And like they're basically paying her to just be there and be like, yeah, the state sucks. And a lot of people are (laughs) wanting to boycott races that take place in Arkansas because they're like a trans athlete cannot go to the hospital if I get hurt in the race. Like literally there's some laws that say like, I cannot operate on this person. Uh, and so like, yeah, they're making a lot of bank off, like just trying to do advocacy and advisory stuff and try and slowly turn that, um, giant container ship of Arkansas back towards freedom. I guess I don't know. it's never going to yeah. happen. It's, um, I mean that the Bentonville area is like a bubble where it kind of felt like when we walked, we, we, Every restaurant we went to, the entire—I mean, just the entire vibe—is like, oh, this feels like Raleigh, like this. And then you you drive like not five minutes outside, and it is, you know, Confederate flags and you know Trump Trump signs, Trump signs. But then, but with like Pence like X out, like an old 2016 Trump sign that's been transformed <laughs> into the modern day Trump sign. Yeah, it's it's a whole oh, it's God. a whole vibe. How far yeah. is Canton, North Carolina, to you? Canton. Um, oh, yeah. that is maybe four hours. I oh, jeez, bummer. Yeah, um, I think that's. I guess that's Blue Ridge Mountains or yeah. something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Asheville. It's just yeah. Um, so it's about oh, west. It's about three hours from here to Asheville, and that's way west. Well, not way yeah. west, but but yeah, there's like a whole bunch happening there. Here we we have to go. Um, we've got some pretty good trails here in Raleigh, um, but going to towards Asheville there's quite a bit um yeah. as well and I'm going up I've got a, a meeting I've got to go to a, oh geez Fayetteville looks like what an hour oh yeah. wait, that's North Carolina North Carolina Fayetteville. yeah yeah <laughs> okay yeah um I'm going to Roanoke to a meeting in a couple of weeks and and that's another like city that is just invested heavily in trails and just just nice like groomed up like good you know no no like bandit situation everything's good you can ride wherever you want but it's like 40 or 50 miles of new stuff so i'm gonna check that out when I go it's so hard uh up here we're trying to implement our first our second i think rails to trails in the entire state mm. and it is fighting tooth and nail with literally 20 farmers that own land across this like five mile stretch Oh. And they've only done it once. It took 20 years in court cases and battles. And they ended up having like pay for new fences oh. for all the all the uh, farmers. And like, it's a wonderful thing once it's done. And tens of thousands of people show up in both towns at each end of a, you know, 20 mile trail just blossom. And like, yeah. and yeah. I've seen that. And I've, I've gone to like 
meetings to uh, testify and be like, dude, 20 years ago, I once had to have lunch in this place and it was a ghost town. And then five years ago, I rode the trail and it's like, I couldn't get into the restaurants that are so full on a Tuesday at noon. Yep. Mm-hmm. And like, we're just, and like these sad towns where I live, they have no industry. They were sawmill towns, you know, a hundred years ago. And we're just like, just let tens of thousands of people ride their bikes and like eat a piece of pizza and buy a Coke at each end. And it's like pulling teeth. It's unbelievable. It's like, yeah. and then someone's trying to start a, a, a bike park in town and like, um, he's about two years into it. And someone posted to this like mailing list going, this is all scam. Um, this is never going to get built. Last time we talked to him, he said it might be five or 10 years. And like, he took our money because these guys raised like, I don't know, 20 grand or something. Cause you kind of have to raise about hundred or 200 grand to even get pilot studies written and cities right. to listen to you. And I'm like, and I remember I replied to the whole group and the, the founder guy thanked me. Just like, dude, every single bike thing takes 10 plus years in the Western US to happen. Like every single thing you've ever ridden, you know, it was just fighting tooth and nail through courts and shit and with pissed oh. off people. And this guy, and like, this is the dumbest idea to make money in the world. Say you're going to make a bike park, <laughs> raise $20,000 over several years of your effort, yeah. and then just sit on the profits of all that work. <laughs> Like, yeah, just reaping the reaping that interest. Just you know, like a, yeah. a friend, uh, one of my wife's professor's friends is in like health and human performance, like the PE teacher uh, yeah. major. And he works as an economist. And all he does, like we, we, me and him were in a giant bike race in, the, in a tiny town, in the middle of nowhere. And he did an economic impact analysis of it. And it was like this one weekend race. He estimated him, this economist estimated they, we brought in like half a million dollars to this super remote region for one weekend race because we had to stay in hotels because it was like six hours away and like why would you not want like right. a free half million dollars every weekend if you just catered to it a little bit oh, uh, it's it is wild and and it and it takes like a whole mindset change right to be able to have it we um so you mentioned Fayetteville there's a Fayetteville in West Virginia that is also like the it's all mountain biking um and uh rafting and um like free solo um rock climbing bouldering stuff yeah, yeah. bouldering because it's like it's all built on this the, the whole town's like built based on this river that they dam during the summer and um and fills up a lake but then when they release it you can raft and then um but during the summer you, there's all these like um climbing trail or not trails like routes where you're just falling into this like you know 400 foot like of water basin so if you fall you're not you're not going to hit any any rock and um we've got friends who just bought like a a place there and it's west virginia it's everything you think about west virginia right like (laughs) it is you know but except for this little bubble of just a bunch of like hippies who have moved from all over the east coast to create this like different vibe place and over you know talking to a couple of locals you know they've, they've got five or six breweries like everything that you yeah. would expect to see with the um with this and they said we we just bought up land over the last 20 years to make this like it there, it, it not not this wasn't it just didn't happen like yeah it was ra- rafting brought people here gave us some economic um cloud and then we thought about all the other things that we could build and but it's all just you know it's three thousand people live there um yeah. it's yeah it's pretty it's wild all right um, i'm gonna take off okay. four o'clock thanks. up thanks, yep. Matt. thanks, thanks for Matt. having me it was fun i'll do it again anytime absolutely a lot. great to have you right. bye
Right. So I just emailed my four o'clock to say I'll be a okay. few minutes late, but you want to do the scheduling? Yeah, yeah, we'll be, we can do this real quick. Um. Okay. So today, that was cool. Good job. Yeah. That, that was nice. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good, good guy. Good. Smart. A lot, lot to say about a lot of things. So yeah. Um, okay. So two weeks from today is Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, I have like lots of ability, availability. I could really meet mm-hmm. anywhere well, between. So oh, that, that, yeah. that day we are theoretically driving back from Ithaca. So, oh, okay. Um, we don't, what it would about- be, it would be better to not do it that day. Okay. Although we, we could, if we scheduled it late in the day, uh, Late in the day is harder because I have a okay. two o'clock okay. that is, oh. I can't move. No, let's, yeah. let's look at another day. So what about the morning of the second before Perfect. 11? Or, Done. Yeah, well, tell me what time. Um, I don't know. 930. Let's try sure. that. Yeah, I've got, uh, yeah. I have a lunch. I got to go to at 12. So that'll give us Perfect. lots of time. FST. Awesome. Perfect. All right. I think that's it. Good. And I don't know. Um, I'll, I'll put the show notes. I got to do this call, but I'll put the show notes uh, yep, soon. No um, and we should think about whether you want to edit out. He, he cursed a bit. So you want to put a little e tag. Yeah, that's fine. Whatever, yeah. whatever you're, whatever you're, I just wanted to, I just wanted to give you a heads up about that. I'll put it, I'll put an E an explicit on it. That'll okay. be, that'll be no problem. Rather than edit it. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. easier. He didn't curse okay. that much. No, it was totally fun. Cool. All right. All I'll right. talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Bye.